Good evening. And now, the Inspirational Quarterly. Hello and welcome to the Inspirational Quarterly, whereby I am Cara Ellison and this is Davy Reedon. Hello, Davy. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to this week in Season 10 of Family Guy. Kara, I just, I have to get right to it. We, last week, we spent almost an hour on Family Guy. I need to just be done and get it over with and move on to reading the book. Because we we need to read, actually read StarCraft Ghost Nova. Okay, um, let's do it. All right, we're good? We're good to go with uh, USA Today bestselling author Keith R.A. DeCandido, so... That's his, yeah, no, his right, we are, but but title. right, but let's real real quickly let's talk about this week in season ten of Family Guy. Okay, okay, okay. okay. All right, because I I'm just gonna I'm gonna make this one fast. This I'm one, sure you will. <laughs> this one is called Screams of Silence: The Story of Brenda Q. This aired on October thirtieth, twenty eleven, uh, and uh, I can't believe you're subjecting yourself to this. Like I, it it is really this is a lot of work, Davy. <laughs> it's been so much worse than I thought it was going to be. Like, I thought this was going to be like a fun little, you know, trip a fun time. And no, it's been miserable. Anyway, let's do this one real fast. Uh, Quagmire and the guys try to save his sister, Brenda from her abusive boyfriend. Uh, Quagmire is of course, Glenn Quagmire, who is Peter Griffin's wacky uh, womanizing neighbor. Um, And uh, yeah, Quagmire's sister, comes over and he and she has an abusive boyfriend and this is something interesting because we've talked about in the past about how um uh about how the people on family guy the characters in family guy are the worst human beings alive well they in this episode they introduce family guys i the family guy world's idea of a bad person right who is this who is the worst single most abusive toxic horrible person alive uh this this boyfriend of this woman who beats her and abuses her and it's all this horrible awful stuff anyway they kill him so um uh that was this week's people (laughs) that's what you do you kill them you literally kill them uh I uh, I do think it's inter- there. There were a couple interesting things here. Um, uh, one is uh, this is a this is one of the cutaway jokes. I don't know what this is, so I'm just gonna read. A, I'm just gonna read it. The the transcript of the joke. Peter says something about you know what else you can get arrested for soliciting a rooster. And then there's a cutaway of a man in a suit approaching a rooster sitting on a fence in like a farm, and the man says. I don't know what this cock-a-doodle-do thing is, but it sounds gay and it sounds scatological. I'm in. And then the rooster says, you're about to have a neat day. Okay. So that's some someone at Family Guy wrote that joke and then people animated it. Um, I mean, I don't have confidence in the general American public to know what scatological means. <laughs> well, there you go. So it sounded smart like i i have a friend who continuously says to me um whenever we're watching a movie where it's like it the dialogue is stilted or it's too psychological or it's too kind of you know it sounds like the writer 
wanted to manipulate the scene so they could say smart things. Um, mm-hmm. They were always like, it It sounds like a writer wrote this. And mm-hmm. every time you, you notice that a writer wrote some dialogue, it's bad because it takes you out of how people would normally act or what they would Most normally of- say. Most of Family Guy, for me, is the opposite. Most of Family Guy sounds like nobody wrote this. <laughs> no, to me, whenever you, like, use the word scatological, just in normal yeah. in a normal conversation, you're like, I don't yeah. know if anyone would really say that. Like, All right, we're, we're focusing too much on the rooster joke. This is supposed to be a quick episode of This Week in Season oh, 10 okay. of Family okay, Guy. Let's, okay. All right. Uh, moving on real quick, uh, there's a scene where the boyfriend, again, the worst human being alive, um, makes a thing about how he likes Jay Leno because Jay Leno's simple humor appeals to his sensibilities. And then there's and then they're watching Jay Leno and Jay Leno does a stand up joke about something like, uh, have you seen these fruity pebbles? When I was a kid, these were fruity boulders. Right. And then the boyfriend like laughs and laughs and laughs like way too hard at this joke. And I think what the what Family Guy was going for here was that um, this guy is so dumb and inane that even a bad, simple joke like that from a simple comedian like Jay Leno is something that this guy finds funny. But after watching a collective hour of Family Guy, I can't tell the difference between what Family Guy considers a good joke and a bad joke. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I wasn't sure... Because Fruity Pebbles, they used to be Fruity Boulders, is about consistent with the quality of Family Guy's humor in general. That's what I was just thinking. Like, I thought the point of a lot of Family Guy jokes was that they are, like, bottom of the barrel. Like, not even not even funny. Like, barely funny. Like, I thought that yeah. was actually the funny aspect of it in some ways. Like, when it first started up... The fact that it was so dumb was actually part of the reason that it existed. But I I don't know. Anyway. Who knows? Uh, I do want to call out something from this episode. This is the first time in all of my watching of Family Guy that something made me, like, not laugh, but inwardly smile a little (laughs) bit. Did it bring you to laughter, though? No, 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 no. <laughs> if anything in season 10 of Family Guy makes me actually laugh out loud, like a audible, you know, like I made a noise from my mouth that was laughing. I, I don't know, man. I'll, whatever. That's, that'll be a, I won't have to worry about that um, <laughs> happening, I don't think. Um, but a, th- a scene did make me sort of inwardly smile. And it's that, Peter uh, is off on a boat trip with his friend Joe, his friend and neighbor Joe. I remember Joe. Apparently the two of them don't hang out on their own very often. They're usually with a group. And Peter's thinking to himself, man, hanging out just one-on-one with Joe. Because there's like an inner monologue that it does. And Peter goes, hanging out just one-on-one with Joe. We just don't have that much to talk about, huh? And then Joe's, and then it goes to Joe. And Joe's inner monologue is say something, Joe, you're losing him. And then Joe says, did you know that two thirds of the earth is water? And then it goes to Peter and Peter's inner monologue is two thirds of the earth is water. This guy's all right. And I didn't laugh, but I like, 
vaguely smiled a little internally because it was an actual moment of like two human beings being having some kind of connection. That is the Something... first time that like there's been any characterization on Family Guy that I can think of. <laughs> any amount of like relationship between any characters <laughs> at all. And I just, I, I was grateful for some aspect of humanity. Like a small, teeny little spark. You were grateful um, for the scraps at this point. That it was exactly. just like that one in-character exactly. moment. <laughs> uh, anyway, then this episode goes on to feature um, a man so horribly abusive that it puts uh, everyone else in context in this world and makes more sense out of why they are okay with uh the horrible abuse that they do to one another because they have people like jeff who is the boyfriend who is so much worse than they are um uh peter sort sort of just sides with jeff a number of times weirdly oh my god which is like part of the joke i guess of peter's thing but anyway uh and so what happens is they kill the boyfriend and then the sister is is in shambles because she's pregnant and her baby won't have a father. And then Peter jokes that he wants to kill somebody else. And then the episode ends. So uh, okay. there you go. Apparently this episode was widely panned for its uh, incredibly poor depiction of domestic violence. And um, was absolutely um, skewered and completely destroyed by, um, yeah, by... Uh, by Everyone? anyone who watched it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I will say, I will say, to Family Guy's credit, no racial, no racial stereotyping jokes in this episode of Family Guy. That's I mean, one, that's, that's bad. That's, that's one great. in the that, that, That's bad that this, that's like the baseline there. Oh, that's bad. The, it's bad. Yeah. It's bad. Yes, it is very, very bad. No, no racism, but some quite bad misogyny. <laughs> right, no, some quite bad misogyny. Let's be clear. Every single episode of Family Guy that I have watched so far, all three of them, at some, at one point, if not multiple points, made jokes about women being dumb or inferior. Every single one of them so far. So when, when they get to an episode that doesn't have uh, racist or misogynistic jokes... Will that'll be another that'll be another uh, big moment for us here in this week of season ten of Family Guy. Well, um, you know, it will be like our quotation being true at the end of every one of our episodes, except with Family Guy, it will be uh, racism and misogyny still exist in this episode. Yes, right. One day that will cease to be true. Hopefully. Okay, that's it. I'm done. We we are at eleven minutes into this podcast, Dang. and we're done with we're done with Family Guy. Okay, no no more for the rest of the episode, Kara. No matter, I need you to promise me right now. Uh-huh. No matter how much how tempting it is, okay, for for you to want to bring up Family Guy as a part of the discuss of of the discussion of the book, can you promise me right here and now that neither of us will bring it up? Yeah, I promise that we'll bring it. Up. Do you, I I need to I st- take this seriously, okay? Okay, I promise that I won't bring it up. 
Oh. Bring up what? What won't you bring up? I won't bring up Family Guy. When won't you bring up Family Guy? At any time during this episode. Okay. I just needed to... Didn't want to let you weasel out on a technicality there. <laughs> okay. We're at page right. three. Jesus Christ, what the fuck is happening in this book? I forgot. I have no idea what's going on. All we've talked about is Family Guy. Um, let's just, I'm just going to sort of pop back a little bit briefly to reorient ourselves. Uh, General, let's see. So General Ledbetter gets a, a calls Esmeralda and says, uh, your orders have changed. Uh, Major, this is General Ledbetter. Your orders have been changed effective immediately. The sons of Korhal have penetrated our orbital defenses, and we need you to defend the city. So then Esmeralda gets mad because she doesn't like the sons of Korhal. We're to return to base immediately, sir? No, Ledbetter sounded pretty cracked off about that, which meant it wasn't his order, but that of someone over his head. Uh, you are to complete your current mission with dispatch, Major Agent Kalerchian is no longer in charge of the op. And then es yeah. Esmeralda is happy about that. You're to retrieve Novaterra by whatever means are necessary and bring her back to Holy K Town within 30 minutes. Uh, Ilsa Kiliani was one of the people that was above uh, General Ledbetter. They obviously wanted Terra very badly. Uh, the Confederates were losing their two front war against the Zerg and the Protoss. And the only reason that they were keeping any ground was because of the ghosts. Um, but the ghosts keep dying, so they need more of them. Okay. Right. Roger, sir. You'll have her. The dochi out. Spalding immediately got to his feet. Ten hut! The poker game, pop quizzes, weapon cleaning, and arm wrestling all ceased. And the 20 annihilators stood at attention. Boys and girls, we're going in in two. The bosses want the Terra girl back in Holy K-Town in half an hour. We're going to do it in 20. Suit up. Opening a line to the cockpit, she said, Fleet, prepare for insertion. Head for the roof. Roger that. Prepare for insertion, though. No one should be using that. Prepare for insertion. <laughs> That's... That's like a quotation from Moonraker or something. <laughs> that would... Even for James Bond, that would be... That's a little too... That's I mean, that's a little too on the nose, right? If it's Roger Moore era, they probably would. He probably would. Think. Yeah, okay. Roger, all right. Roger Moore, James Bond. I'm I'm closing my eyes, and because he would only say this to a woman, yeah. right? He wouldn't say it to any man because the man would clearly try <laughs> to deck him. <laughs> uh, all right. Can I imagine Roger Moore as James Bond saying, "Prepare for insertion"? Okay, but all right. <laughs> There's only one of two, there's only one of two situations in which he's doing this. One is if he's literally about to have sex with a woman, and the other is if he is in a situation where he and a woman are doing a are 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 doing an actual mission related thing, and he says prepare, prepare for insertion as part of that with like a knowing little side. What's well, the hook eyebrow, right? It's a Roger Moore yeah. hook eyebrow. Prepare for insertion, and the lady's like, prepare Ooh. for insertion. But if he's okay, but here's the thing: they're only say they'd only be saying that if it's like they're on the you know spaceship docking pod 
you know, and they're like, their ship is attaching to the space station, you know, and he turns and says that, that that's, that's too serious of a situation. He wouldn't say it there, would he? Hey, I don't know. I, hmm. I think that, yeah, James Bond is only really this silly with women, isn't he? He's only this silly with women and he's only this silly when they're, when the mission isn't on the line. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does, okay. Yeah. Does James Bond ever, does James Bond ever abandon the mission to, to have sex? No, never. In fact, sometimes he puts the women in front of the bullets to catch them. I'm serious. <laughs> does he really? Yes. I'm serious. When does, when does he do that? When does okay, he do that? So you have stumbled into my specialist subjects. I don't know if you knew <laughs> that you were like falling into a pit of like Kara's specialist subject, but my specialist subject is James Bond and everything involving James Bond because I've been I a did. huge fan since I was a kid. Okay. This, this is a true story. I, when I, I took a class on James Bond in college, right? What? So you can't take a yeah, class is, in him. I I took it so I because I, I went to film school, right? I went to film school at USC, so we did sure. actual. There was an actual class on James Bond. That doesn't mean that I know as much about James Bond as you, because taking a single semester of a class does not make you an expert in a thing. But I know a little bit about. What James were Bond. the main things you learned in this class? We did, uh, there was a lot of, because it's film school, so they have to make it like, you know, there there has to be like, like a reason Cinematography for it, or right? like. It was, it was more about like. Structure. The cultural, the cultural, it was more about like the reflection, like James Bond as a reflection of the culture of the times. Right, of course, so like Cold War politics and like. Yeah. Um, masculinity and, and uh, British uh, ideas of nationhood, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, you know, Roger Moore is very, like, silly and whimsical, and then AIDS becomes a thing, and there, and then, he's, and then you know, it's like, oh, now we, Timothy Dalton is like, oh, now we need to be serious. Right. right? And his oh. films are very violent as well, so they get more violent in that era. Right, so there was, right, so there was, like, a period where it was like, okay, you know, the world is a more serious place, now James Bond needs to be more serious. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so there's, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Venereal diseases. <laughs> Well, right. Yeah, no, I, exactly. Like, what's the, what's the, what, you know, what's the conversation of the, of the moment? Uh, you know, and then it's like, oh, Pierce Brosnan's uh, James Bond, and he's going to have a little fun, but also now the women are going to have some actual something to do too, right? So yeah. Like, that was, and the interesting yeah. thing about Pierce Brosnan, oh my God, I can't believe I'm start, even starting talking about this because we'll never hear the end of it. But basically Pierce Brosnan's, Bond was very interesting because it was the first time that that Bond movies had ever actually been interested in actual politics, as in addressing um, British imperialism, thinking about the impact that the British Secret Service had had on uh, an international policy had had on other countries, um, and also um, the Cold War explicitly. Um, generally speaking, I don't think most James Bond movies explicitly address the Cold War head on. They tend to kind of dance around it and then talk about, you know, like smirsh agents or like, you know, like the guy holding the fluffy white cat. And, you know, it's all just like a kind of boogeyman terrorist situation. Whereas um, GoldenEye was the first time that they actually used real world politics. Um, and it was the first. 
it is the first script, maybe even only only script, maybe first script uh, written by an American about James Bond. So that's probably why it was actually interested in those subjects. Whereas like previously British people were like, we have no history that I can think of. What history? Where? We have no bad things to say about, you know, like that kind of stuff. So Now I'm pretty sure, and I did take a class on James Bond. So I'm pretty sure that when uh, Roger Moore turned to the camera and winked and said, prepare for insertion, he was talking about the insertion of Cold War agents across enemy borders undermining political efforts. Are you sure right? about that? I am pretty sure that's what he meant by prepare for insertion. I see. I mean, also fucking. I mean, <laughs> so back to the original question um, the question of whether James Bond would use a woman to actually. Um, brutally further his own mission. Um, it happened a lot during the Sean Connery years. So um, oh, he does get he gets hacked me. in his I think Jamaica Jamaican um, hotel room. I think at one point, and he uses a woman as a human shield. She either gets <laughs> shot or stabbed, as I can remember. And he discards wow. her. He just slept with her. He got what he wanted from her. <laughs> he just discards her. And um, and then later on, he uh, he kills that henchman by throwing. <laughs> do you him know what he? Do you know? Do you know what he's? Do you know what? Do, do you know what uh, Sean Connery James Bond said to the woman right before she was stabbed? What did he say? Prepare for insertion. <laughs> there you go. Um, and yeah, and then he dispatches a henchman by pushing him into a bath full of water and then throwing a lamp in there and he's electrocuted to death. And then, For some reason, in my mind, I filled that in with th threw him into a bath full of women. Oh, okay. I don't know. For, like, I like he was like Sean Connery. Like, he was like, deal with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, he electrocutes this guy in a bath, and then mm -hmm. after he's like steaming in the bath, he says, "Shocking." Do you get mm -hmm. it? He says, sh "Shocking." Shock. Could you explain it? Could you explain it? Shocking. Could you could you explain? Well, you see, you know, he got shocked by an electric shock, so you know it was just shocking situation. But also, it is a shocking situation, as in, you know. You would be shocked if you heard about it, you know. Yeah, we didn't we didn't cover this in my James Bond class, so I'm dang. Just, I I'm not gonna. I don't I don't get it. I yet. know all Sorry. about the double entendre um, only from James Bond. Like he's the only. I can't I can't actually. I'm I'm actually like a kind of secret um, misogynist myself because I learned all my mm. personalities from James Bond. So yeah. I actually uh, learned most of my behavior about uh, in relating to women from Family Guy when Maybe. I was younger because Peter, uh, a lot of his habits tend to be, um, oh, shit, damn it. Start talking about Family Guy again. Oh, you broke um, the rule. Broke the rule. Broke the rule. Uh, that doesn't explain okay. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't know how to feel about that. 
I just really I wanted to like cut you like real deep for a second. I was like, yeah. oh, I should say being, it. Being be it, it having been implied that I took any morality from Family Guy is like one of the most insulting things anyone's I can ever imagine said. Imagine it's like the most obscene that you could say to someone. You seem you seem like someone who would like Family Guy is like one of the <laughs> one of the most horrible things you oh can say God, to someone. I'm gonna save that up because it's like on the surface really mild, but like yeah. it's the sort of thing that will sink in and cut you forever. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um. Okay. All right. So. Uh, prepare for uh, insertion. That's where so we're as- at. Esmeralda says, "Prepare for insertion." Uh, and then, and then it says here, and then it says right here in the book, all the annihilators giggled, and they pointed at Esmeralda and giggled and said, "She said, prepare for insertion." Esmeralda, Esmeralda then looked around and said, "Why are all of you giggling?" And the annihilators said, uh, "Ma'am, you said prepare for insertion." And then Esmeralda giggled herself and said, "Oh, I guess I did." Teehee, I'm such a silly poopsie. A silly and poopsie. Then, yeah. And then all of them made a bunch of hand sex gestures with the finger going into the okay, hole. But now you're turning it into an episode of Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> we, I was very clear. We are not to discuss Family Guy. You broke the rule first. Like, I don't know. Well, you... Well, you kept going with it. Okay. So, um, anyway, they spent uh, 20 or 30 minutes making the little hand sex gestures and okay. saying, prepare for insertion, prepare for insertion. And then uh, Esmeralda says, head for the roof. Roger that. Two minutes after she gave the order, they were all helmeted and standing at attention, ready to go in. Hell yeah, they were <laughs> ready for insertion. Oh dear. It's because it's like insertion, like before, like what we said before. Spalding yelled, Who's the best? The Annihilators, sir. Who's the best? The Annihilators, sir. Who's not the best? Everybody else, sir. Let's do it. Plan Bravo. Yes, sir. Still the best military chant that in history such a terrible military term like so so bad they could have been more it's... imaginative zero out of ten yeah let's move on <laughs> zero out of ten i'm gonna you know what two out of ten why, why where did that, you come from that's from me oh okay I, I just like the annihilators okay i just like them okay esmeralda and spalding had put together a series of plans for hard target searches Bravo was the one where A, the target was in a multi-story building, and B, collateral damage was very much not an issue. Huh. Multi-story building, collateral damage, not an issue. Interesting. Certainly, nobody was going to give a damn if they trashed the gutter. Hell, if they didn't have to retrieve the target alive, Esmeralda would have let the Annihilators stay at camp and nuked the whole gutter from orbit and made Tarsanus a better place. Nuke it from space! I mean, that is that is what, uh... Well, that's what the ghosts do in StarCraft. So That is actually uh, true. But I think they ripped off a lot of things from aliens. 
Um, yeah, I just mean like in the lore of StarCraft, are people other than ghosts allowed to nuke? Allowed to drop? No, nukes? I don't think so. Well, I mean, it may be in the lore universe, but certainly in the game, it's just ghosts, right? Or right. no, wait, there's a the battleship can nuke stuff, right? It can. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. <clears throat> well, we'll never know because uh, we don't know anybody who knows anything about StarCraft. We don't know anyone, no. Uh, fleet put down on the roof of the building, and the back bulkhead of the Valkyrie opened into a ramp with a whir. Esmeralda looked at her troops. You all have the, t you all have the target's profile. I remind you that Nova Terra is a Class A target. Anybody here gives her so much as a paper cut, they'll be in the stockade by nightfall. Am I clear? Ah, oh, the Annihilator said. Yes, ma'am! Anybody else you encounter is expendable. These people are gutter trash. They contribute nothing of value to the Confederacy, except for a cheap labor force. And that's a resource that's infinitely replaceable. Uh, yo, Esmeralda, I got news for you. Not infinitely replaceable i mean so. the russians in the second world war certainly thought they were infinitely replaceable but actually uh, quite a lot of people died oh they died they died oh. yeah they oh, they went yeah. away um you know they had you know the most losses of the war didn't they so you know yeah they did lose quite a bit of labor force there i like just just the sentence contribute nothing of value to the confederacy except for a cheap labor force it's like esmeralda that's the definition of value that's literally that's literally what value means that is that is as valuable as value gets so uh, uh, uh. she didn't even say i don't like them right if she was just like these poor people piss me off. That would have been not good, but consistent, right? But she's like this cheap labor for this cheap labor force that comes in masses of people isn't providing a value to the fat cats at the top who want to expend capital of all its value. Like that's actually the thing that is that that does that would matter to them. It's funny to me because you know, um, you know, like in in uh, when you're learning about like the plagues in the medieval era or whatever, and it seemed like everyone in their castle was like totally cool with like letting everyone outside just like die of the plague and all this stuff because they're like, oh, it'll never touch us because it seems to kill rich people less, and then all of a sudden. They realize that not only could it spread inside of castles as well, uh, but they just didn't have anyone to work on their land and therefore give them sources of food. And therefore mm. they started to realize, oh, um, maybe we do need people. <laughs> it's like kind yeah. of crazy that like people didn't actually... I mean, now obviously we're in feudalism part two, um, another kind of situation, but like there's this, like, it's a really kind of bizarrely, like, there's like no kind of foresight, insight, what have you on, on the fact that a lot, you know, in order to be actually, actually surviving as a, as a, as a person, you have to depend on, you know, community and people and, mm -hmm. 
you know, other people are not like other people have to be well and happy in order in order for you to be well and happy. It seems like a no brainer, but clearly these people are idiots. Clearly that's a brainer. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, a brainer. it's a brainer. Yeah. It's a brainer. It's a brainer. Uh anybody else you encounter is expendable. These people are, are gutter trash. They contribute nothing of value to the Confederacy except for a cheap labor force. And that's a resource that's infinitely expend replaceable. She said as she waved her hands in the air dramatically. Sergeant Mack raised a hand as Morelda nodded. Sergeant, ma'am, what about Agent Kalerchian? What part of anybody else wasn't clear, Sergeant? Nodding, Mac said. Yes, ma'am. Question withdrawn, ma'am. Good. Will the beasts go? Sergeant Vincent led A Company down the ramp, their armored boots clanging on the metal of the ramp in perfect time. They would secure the roof and upper floors. This is... The plan is a multi-story building and collateral damage was very much not an issue. I wonder how the multi-story building uh, plan is different than a non-multi-story plan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the idea that collateral damage isn't an issue to me is something where they're like, well, just fucking open fire, baby. Right? And it's like, that just seems like anywhere will work for that. You know? Yeah, like if you if you hit the bottom of the building, surely it's gone. Yeah, that's how buildings work. Yeah, you'd think. That's the cool part about yeah, gravity is that it's the same. Oh, everywhere. maybe it's because like maybe one of the buildings will like fall on like, you know, some rich person's building and then they're like, Oh shit. I guess that's true. Are you implying that buildings do a sort of tree like tumber uh timber sort of fall. look we're fall. in the future here we don't know how, how buildings are gonna operate maybe they are like timber uh hey uh yeah subsurian could we get a lore check on how buildings fall in the starcraft oh, universe falling like trees in these times <laughs> Uh, yeah, StarCraft Wiki. Show me do buildings fall like trees in the StarCraft universe. Oh, dear. Um, uh, or, or here's another idea. Maybe it's that, ta- maybe it's because they go to space in the StarCraft universe. So from a tall building, you can jump into space and escape. Oh, yeah. You could jump into space and escape. Yeah. 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 Because... They, because that's they do space here. They and so little, little space, little space. The building units. The building is tall, and tall goes to space. Yeah. And so they just whoop, and now they're in space. Goodbye. Yeah. Suckers, I'm in space. We're powered right, by that kind of flatulence. Thing. Yeah. And uh, so they're like, you know, if they're hunting someone down on a parking lot, parking lot, not space. Um, <laughs> Sergeant, <clears throat> are you okay? I'm fine. Are we good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm gonna read the book. Continue. Sergeant Vincent led A Company down the ramp, their armored boots clanging on the metal of the ramp in perfect time. They would secure the roof and upper floors. Fleet, bring us to the middle floors. Wait, why don't they just start on the roof? Anyway. I mean, I don't, I don't know. 
Roger that. Moments later, the rear of the Valkyrie was facing the side windows. Bengals, go! Sergeant Hammond didn't lead B Company down. Mitchell went first, firing on the windows with his wrist cannons, blowing them inward to clear the way. The rest of the Bengals followed, with Hammond taking up the rear. Moments later, C Company did the same on the other side, Mac leading the way with his incredibly clean wrist cannon. So are they just open firing on the windows now? What does that... Is that... Is this wrist cannon... Does it not get hot? Like, I mean, wouldn't that burn you? Well, that's another That's another good question. Yeah. You would get burned. But does the... That. Does the wrist cannon... Because this is a good question. Like, what is the nature of the wrist cannon? When... Okay, because it says, firing on the windows with his wrist cannons, blowing them inward to clear the way. Blowing windows inward isn't... That's... That's like a... That's a thing. That's like a... You don't... You, you're not... He's not... You know what I mean? Blowing a window inward is a lot of force to do that yeah because like if if it's like if it's like a bullet style like i'm imagining like if it were a shell like if you imagine the kind of device that would fire a bullet forward i don't know what you would call that but that kind of device yeah but like say if it's like a bullet effect then it's going to make like a hole and then maybe drag some of the glass in with it right right exactly so that's that's what I mean is like to cover the the surface area to actually blow the windows inward. Right? Like that this has to be a meaty thing. Well on what his I was wrist. meant to say is that like if it's a shell which explodes all of the glass, right? Because it's got like a kind of um you know, it's got like a, it, it's it starts at a point and then it goes out on all sides, right? Yeah. Um right. then surely it's not really directed inward. It goes everywhere, right? It's pushing yes. glass outside of the building and inside of the building and all around. Sure. So that's not a directional thing. So how well, is just this happening? The very, I- the very idea that this guy has a thing on his wrist that is firing shells is is you know i mean it does say wrist cannon maybe it's an entire like pirate ship cannon that he has attached to his wrist like is it does it go past the fingers you know what i mean like because if it doesn't surely there's a risk of your fingers getting in the way (laughs) there's a lot of yeah there's a lot and let's not forget that they were specifically instructed to not even leave a paper cut on nova right so their first impulse is let's blast the let's blast this building inward from the build from the windows. Right. Right? Is that wrong? Um see, see again? Like just just go over this with me. Look, look, okay, all right, okay. I re- you all have the target's profile. I remind you that Nova Terra is a class A target. Anybody here gives her as so much as a paper cut, they'll be in the stockade by nightfall. Am I clear? Yes, ma'am. Okay. The Moments later, the rear of the Valkyrie was facing the side windows. 
<clears throat> Sergeant Hammond didn't lead B Company down. Mitchell went first, firing on the windows with his wrist cannons, blowing them inward to clear the way. So the rest of the... Ba- yeah. Basically, this wrist cannon is not like... It's, it's glass only. It must be glass only effect. Right? Yeah. Because otherwise, it's a shell that's going to harm her. Right? Right. But even glass flying inward is not going to be good. It's not good. Well, it's not humans. good, is it? But, you know, you might, you would survive some glass. She, Esmeralda just said a paper cut. Okay. But she's probably um, exaggerating. Because these, <laughs> these guys, these Bengals or whatever they're called, the, they're they are going to be not taking, they don't seem like the kind of people to be, t- be taking yeah, gentle yeah. means. You know what I mean? You know what? You know, Esmeralda, can, Esmeralda, can we have a talk? Esmeralda, can we sit down for a second? Hey, Esmeralda, I'd really appreciate it if we could chat. These are the, um, uh, these are the, death hunters of the universe whose sole mission it is to destroy whatever is in their path saying if you even so much as leave a paper cut on our target is maybe setting unrealistic expectations for what you're going to get out of this particular uh set of troops you know uh esmeralda that's I think maybe you were I think maybe you were setting yourself up for failure a little bit. You might want to might want to use someone else if you wanted to be neat. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like neat orderly approaches to conflict resolution is not sort of on the annihilator's resume, right? Um Yeah, no, I think I think that's on her. I yeah. think that's on her. She's she made the a val- decision. She's, yes, she's, she's put herself in this situation. Uh, moments later, C Company did the same on the other side. Mac leading, leading the way with his incredibly clean wrist cannon. The Valkyrie, which was a stealth craft, and so would be unseen and unheard by those inside, through the breaking glass and armored troops. Oh, though the, ar- though the breaking glass and armored troops were creating something of a ruckus landed silently outside. Spalding, you and the dragons secure the perimeter, ten meters around the building. Anyone crosses it, shoot them. Yes, ma'am, Spalding said. Fleet, get back on the roof. Be ready to go at a moment. Roger that. Spalding took D Company out to secure the street. Esmeralda saw some people running away, others milling around, others staring blankly. Wolverines with me. Yes, ma'am, said McGillan. As Esmeralda led E Company toward the front door, she caught in her peripheral vision someone walking toward O'Neill. Hey, what the flick, you people? O'Neill raised an arm. The man held up his hands, but kept walking forward. Hey, look, I don't want no trouble. Just want to know what the flick. As soon as he got within ten meters of this Fagin person's building, O'Neill fired a dozen rounds from his wrist cannon into the intruder, who fell to the ground in a bloody heap. So, okay, so this is just a person walking. walking I mean, I'm up. hoping it's just a rando. <laughs> well, if it turns out that was, really that was, that was Nova, like that was Nova. Uh, uh, people started running away after that. Yeah. Uh, Esmeralda smiled. 
Although she had a thing for carnage, sometimes just one death did the trick properly. Luckily for her, the Marines had provided her with opportunities for both. Unholstering her P-500, which she'd used to kill quite a number of Zerg these past few weeks, Esmeralda shot a hole into the front door control and then kicked the now useless door in with her armored boot. <clears throat> Do you think Esmeralda gets the same satisfaction of killing Zerg that she does at killing humans? I think she probably gets more satisfaction from killing humans. I mean... That's what I would say. I I mean, I would if I had to be around these dopes all day. You know what I mean? Oh, like she's taking out her aggression from the people that she's working with. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, hmm. she is she is probably surrounded by idiots all day. Well, she's definitely surrounded by idiots all day. Yeah. But she is she is herself an idiot, as we now yeah, know. Yeah, she is, she is. She is a bit of an idiot. Um, four people in a small receiving area of some kind jumped up. Two were armed. The others were counting money. Uh, in a sm- they're, they're counting their money in the receiving area of the front door of the front door of the building? Alright. Yeah, that's weird. That's weird. Esmeralda put a bullet in each of their heads. Actually, the power of the P-500 was such that the shots destroyed their entire heads north of the jawline, with the exception of the third person she shot. He moved a bit, so the round took only about half his head off. One dead eye looked up at her as brains oozed out of the halved skull. Ah, fuck yeah. Keith is detailed. Esmeralda pumped her fist and went, fuck yeah, I love killing. See, this is the book that everyone who 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 bought this book thinking that they would just get to basically play through StarCraft Ghost. Now we're at that book. Yeah. Right? Now we're at the book for the gamer nerds who didn't have the stomach for social commentary. <laughs> yeah, like they bought this book and they got like a bunch of like, you know, at length whining about the state of this world and the gutter. And they were like, oh. And then they got to here. <laughs> this is where it's starting. Well, maybe Keith is thinking, you know, I don't want to give my uh, intensely graphic depictions of slaughter to just anyone. I want it to be for people who are like into what I'm into. So he's test. he tests you first with you know, a lot of depictions of class struggle and warfare and inequity. And then he does, you know, she pulled out her gun and blew the top of his skull off and brains oozed out of his skull. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely um, a good tactic. I would say stuff them nerds yeah. full of, you know, some empathy first. Yeah. Well, that's what happened to me on the episode of Family Guy that I watched for this week because that because it felt like the empathy of connecting with with Quagmire's sister uh, then created a connection for me to be more receptive to the jokes that they were telling in the episode. I mean, I don't know how we're talking about this again, but... Ah, damn it. I <laughs> fucked it up again. You really have, like, ruined I really, really, really ballsed that up. All right, let's get back to killing. She looked around at the sound of gunfire. Apparently B and C companies were getting resistance. 
Then the ground shook, and plaster started falling from the ceiling. Just the fact that it was plaster made Elsmeralda realize she had made a tactical error. Damn it, forgot these buildings were put together on the cheap. The structure can't handle. The rest of the thought was cut off by the ceiling collapsing on her head. Dun, dun, dun. Esmeralda? What? What? How, how did you not think that destroying the building was gonna collapse it? <laughs> that her whole... They have a whole plan. Bravo plan is for the target is in a multi-story building. I mean... This is part... Of, they literally did planning for this situation. Well, you just got finished saying that Esmeralda is kind of a dummy, so... I know, but I didn't think she was that dumb. <laughs> like, it's it's a matter of... Okay, because what I was... What I thought was that she's dumb on the level of, like, um... Uh being in denial about the about the nature of the collateral damage she's going to do to other people right not in denial about i'm going to die if i personally go into a building that i know is in a really cheap part of town and begin blasting it it apart right like that's a survival thing and she she obviously wants to survive yeah yeah. Hmm. Unless she did this uh, to bring down all of the employees that she's been working with who she dislikes. Yeah, maybe it's a, it's like a, a ploy of hers to just yeah. get rid of them. <laughs> get rid of it all. When he saw the ceiling collapse, the first thing Mal did was tell the computer to put his force field on full. The second thing he did was dive for Nova to protect her. She was a Class A target, after all. Besides, leaving aside the consequences of letting a Class A come to harm, it would just be embarrassing after six months of chasing chasing, to let her die now that he'd finally found her. I think Mal is probably past embarrassment at this point. I he's mean, he's... He be embarrassing himself a lot, huh? Like... Yeah, that's that's the, the Malcolm Kalarchian story. Uh... That Nadochi and her merry band of demolition experts surprised Nova with their attack was to be expected, since their helmets were equipped with the same size screen that Mal was using, and for that matter, that the late Fagan had been using. However, it was also a surprise to Mal, by virtue of the fact that he didn't order it. If I live through this, Major, I am definitely getting Kiliani to crawl right up your ass. I don't care who you used to be married to. This is crap, and you're gonna pay for it. Nova was already on the floor, having collapsed to her knees just before the ceiling buckled, so it was easy enough for Mal to blanket her with his body, using the force field to protect them. Creatures coming everywhere. Can't stop them. Everywhere you go, they consume it all. Was he saying that? Who is saying that? Is Mal saying that? I don't know. What the fuck? Because if Mal is saying that about the Annihilators, that's what it looks like. It looks like Mal is saying that about the Annihilators, right? Yeah, that's weird. Why would he say that? Did 
Mal, Mal brought them here. I know. He, he brought them. He did this. Anyway. This is weird. Mal, yeah, that's very weird. Mal's back started to hurt as much as his head was. The head was a lost cause. Five doses of analgesic didn't even begin to slow it down while he was in the same room as Nova. But the back might be a problem. The force field could, could withstand most any force in theory, but it was as subject to gravity as anything else. Well, that's a force. I don't know how to tell you this, but... <laughs> oh, Mal. The force field can handle anything except for, like, gravity. It felt like an entire ten-story building was weighing down on Mal's back. The advantage armor had over over a force field was that the was that the former enhanced his own strength, allowing one to, for example, get up from a prone position with a ton of plaster and wood and steel on one's back by simply pushing it off. Sadly, the force field did nothing to provide Mal with the ability to do that. Had he been standing, he might have been able to force his way through. But being stomached down on all fours like this provided him with no leverage whatsoever. Death and destruction. They're everywhere, swarming all over the place. Oh no, Marcus. He's dead. He died hating me and wishing I would die and wishing he could have killed his father. Okay, someone else is talking. It must be Nova. Yeah, it must be Nova. I think it must be Nova. Mal remembered that Marcus was the young man whom Nova had telekinetically manipulated into shooting Fagin. A pity Marcus was dead, as he had seemed a more reasonable person to deal with, and might have been able to bring the stability to Fagin's organization that Larry Fonseca had been afraid to lose. That, however, was the least of Mal's problems. Nova was becoming rapidly more incoherent, and now the computer was telling him that the force field was starting to show indications of failure and recommended that it be shut off for maintenance. That's not gonna happen. Since his mouth was right next to to her ear, Mal said, Nova, I need you to focus. Dying everyone all around me, nobody living, everybody falling apart. This time he shouted, Nova, listen to me. The sudden loudness got her to at least stop talking. Can I stop you there? This is the end of the fifth element. When they put the the thing onto the pedestal? No. So remember remember when he like he has to rescue um Mila Jovovich's character Jovovich's character yeah. um and like she like thinks that humans are like worthless and you know, like she sees all the pictures of war and stuff, and then he has to teach her about love. Remember? Uh, yeah, yeah. And Nova just yeah. needs to remember about love. Yeah, I now I'll be honest. I, I it's been a long time since I've seen uh, the Fifth Element, and the the primary scene that Maya like twelve year old boy memory remembers is the very end when they're just boning in the in the tube <laughs> yeah. my favorite part of the whole movie is the blue lady opera singing no no that's okay it's the right? blue lady opera right? like, it's the blue lady opera and boning in the tube yeah like right? the two highlights of the movie so when you say bruce willis needs to teach mila jovich about love well that's i think we all know what prepare for insertion 
Well, prepare, prepare. He prepared her for insertion, you might say. Oh, no. I feel like that's a family guy joke. Well, (laughs) no. Okay, the family guy version of prepare for insertion is like, is like Peter. Okay, here's what it is. All right. Peter. And you you did make me promise not to talk about Family Guy anymore. But, you broke the rule twice. But, <laughs> but, all right, the Family Guy version of the joke is like, Peter's like, oh, man, this is worse than the time that I was a, a control, that I worked in a control tower for a space station. And then it cuts to like, they're in space and there's a space station, right? And a, and a, a, a ship is approaching the space station. And then you hear Peter's voice coming over the intercom. And he's like, uh, you are prepared for insertion? Or, or you, are, you are prepared, the uh, space station prepared to receive you? And then the ship begins to, you know, dock with the, the bigger ship. And then Peter's like, prepare for insertion. And then he goes, prepare for prepare for insertion. <laughs> prepare, <laughs> prepare, prepare, insert, insert it. Well, that is <laughs> a joke. Oh no! <laughs> you have watched that's, that's, way too much Family Guy. <laughs> I've watched exactly as much Family Guy as I've watched, and that's a lot of Family Guy. You know, it doesn't. It feels like I've watched hours and hours of Family Guy, but it's been one calendar hour exactly that oh. I've watched of it now. Wow! And uh, that's. Do you want, Carrot, how about this? For next, for next week's episode of This Week in Season 10 of Family Guy, do you want to watch, do you want to watch episode four with me? Okay. Wait, on the right. podcast or just like offline? That we <laughs> no, that would, that would be a whole other thing. I if was we, like, if what? We, <laughs> if we started watching, if we started watching Family Guy during the podcast. That would be weird. Like. I don't know what that would be mean. really weird. I mean, it's that like, would be really okay, weird. Okay, like let's let's watch it together and we'll take notes. We'll watch it together set. Yeah, we'll watch it together separately. We'll take notes and then we will reconvene on next episode of the Inspirational Quarterly and we'll discuss what we saw there. Okay, or I could okay. watch it and then report to you. Oh which yeah, would you prefer? Uh, let's watch it together. Together, okay. and then and then we can we can keep you reporting to me for like in, in the back pocket. Okay. For you know, down the line. Okay. Right. For like when you, I want, when you I feel, I want us to have. I I feel like I've been describing this all all. T- I feel like an anthropologist, like having come back from some exotic land, and like I'm I'm describing it for you, but I just need you to see it. You okay. Know? Yeah. 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 Okay. So I mean, it the, sounds I'm, bad. So I, no, no. I, it's not that I don't think it'll be bad. It's just like I I need to know if it's as fucked up as it looks in my vision of it i just can't imagine like the person i was when i saw family guy season one is just like a person who clearly tolerated things not being that funny yeah (laughs) it was a novelty to even have i guess episodic sitcom in animated form the one yeah. the Simpsons, I guess. But, like, I had really gone off the Simpsons by then. Yeah. Um, well, let's find out. Let's okay. find out next time on the Inspirational Quarterly, the world's lead, foremost leading podcast dedicated to the discussion of 
Starcraft Ghost Nova, the 2006 novel yeah. by USA Today bestselling author Keith R. Almost and leading together. And to be clear, Starcraft Ghost Nova is the only piece of media we discuss on the Inspirational Quarterly. Yeah. Um, because there are too many podcasts about the insp- about Starcraft Ghost Nova that get sort of sidetracked yeah. by other stuff. And it's like, hey, what about people who actually just want to know about the book? Yeah. We just try so, and respect those people, you know? Yeah, like, hey, you know, you've got a finite amount of time on this earth. You ought to be spending it on what you love and care about. Yeah. Right? Um, and that's why we're here for you. Yeah. So. Um, okay. Uh, this week, uh, the question is, did we, uh, are there... Did we meet a new friend? And the answer is yes, we met several new friends, um, which means that for 25 weeks in a row, there we are. We have met uh, a new friend every time. And I do have to say, actually, I should I should uh, drop this on you. I did get an email um, <clears throat> from uh, from a reader who wanted to let us know, uh, who sent me a link to a website. Um, debunking the idea that there are no strangers here only friends you haven't met yet is a william butler yates quote <gasps> what i know i know uh quote investigator.com asks who wrote who 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 wrote the quote there are no strangers here only friends you haven't met yet uh and they are unable to find a substan- substantive report for the linkage to yates uh, the it says the popular poet Edgar Guest included a similar sentiment in a widely distributed 1915 poem called Faith, um, which has the line that strangers are friends that we someday meet. And then this website goes on to include like 30 other instances of people saying some variants of that. Um, but no Yates. How interesting. No Yates. No Yates. I wonder why people attributed it to Yates. I mean, I guess it's just like, you know, a bunch of like Irish internet users trying to attribute everything to him. How many of the Yates quotes that we read? Remember when we were reading a Yates quote every week? How many of those do you think were not written by... Some of them were like, not not his. Can you imagine? We have been spreading misinformation. People come to this podcast with respect and trust for our journalistic integrity. They do. They, they expect the highest standards. Um, here's what I'll say. Nobody thus far has specifically proven that Yates didn't say that quote. Yeah. Right? So we say to you, you can't prove that he didn't say it. Until you prove that a thing didn't happen, by default, it did happen. It did happen. Yeah. So, like, you can't prove that I didn't sleep with your mom. So it probably did happen. What? What? Do you, I I hadn't thought about it that way. <laughs> yeah. So oh, wow, that's weird. Yeah. All right. Well, 
We all learned something uh, this week on the Inspirational Quarterly. Um, thank you to our friend who wrote in to try to throw me off the trail from William Butler Yeats having written that quote, but he definitely read it. He definitely wrote it. So, or read it, whatever. <laughs> Maybe he read it from someone else and then wrote it himself. Yeah, he could that. have written it secondhand. That's that, true. That doesn't mean he didn't write it. Right. You know? Yeah. You could say that I wrote there are no strangers, only friends you've met yet because I wrote it down. That's true. Because I literally did write it down in this Google Doc. Um, all right, that's all we got. Anything else, Kara? Anything else to say? That's it. That's all from us. Bye. As we always say at the end of every episode of the Inspirational Quarterly, prepare for insertion. <laughs> 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 <laughs>